God is never caught off guard. He's always one step ahead of the enemy. And when our situations look so dire that it seems that there's no way out of this place, nowhere to go, not left or right, the enemy's got us surrounded, it's like we're doomed. That's when God gets the most glory. And oftentimes he sets things up for that to happen. And it seems like when there's nothing's going to happen, it seems like we've stand no chance. And in that moment when we think that there is no way out and that it is over, that's the moment when the sea splits. That's the moment when the pillar of fire erupts from the ground. That's the moment when our enemies are crushed below our feet without us even lifting a finger. That's the moment he gets the glory. You see, God comes often to do things like this in our life. And when we stand in the beginning of this and we see the mountain ahead of us, it makes no sense. It, does, it, it seems like God has forsaken us. It seems like he has forgotten about his promises. While in reality, he has only lifted his promises as high as that mountain. Because we sees that when he exalts us above to that and lets us climb that mountain and shows us that he's the one who carries us. And when we get up there and we see the promise of God, he gets the glory because you were never able to do it alone. And see, this is not only for you, it's for the world to see. It's for Egypt to see. Because see, when Israel was in, they were exiting Egypt, they were leaving Egypt. Pharaoh, God just brought these plagues on Egypt and Pharaoh said, okay, you just get out of there because he just lost his firstborn. And they're in there, they're, they're coming to this, to the ocean and God tells Israel, to stay there. God is the one who led Israel to that very place. But soon they hear the sound of horses. Soon they start hearing the wheels of chariots. And Pharaoh comes with 600 of his choice chariots, the officers of his army, the best of the best in the day of military equipment. And Israel sees them coming. Israel is there, the men with their wives, their little children, their babies, all their possessions, the gold that just took out of Egypt, their whole lives. And in this moment, if things go wrong, Israel is about to be extinguished as a nation. They will cease to exist if Pharaoh has his way with his choice chariots. And see, in that moment, Israel does what we may deem as natural. They throw up their hands and say, God, did you bring us out of Egypt just to make a burial place for us in this desert? And then God comes and he shows them something. You see, as Israel is standing before this ocean, they are about to enter their baptism. You see, the water that they went through is a type of baptism, just as they left Egypt. You see, they're about to they're leaving Egypt. They're about to go into their wilderness season. 
But before they go to that wilderness on the other side of this ocean, they're going to need, they need to go through the water first. They need to go through baptism first. They first need to be immersed with Moses, if you will. And then through that, now they will enter the wilderness, just like Yeshua, Jesus. He was immersed. He was baptized by John. And then what happened thereafter? Right thereafter, he went into the wilderness where Satan came to tempt and test him as to whether his heart is still inclined towards God in that wilderness season. And the same happens to Israel. You see, and as Israel is standing before this water, doubt hits their hearts and they're unsure. They're not sure. Should we really go through this water? And it's a picture of how we, as we are faced with the option to go through baptism, as we're faced with the option to now truly trust in God, die to ourselves and let everything go so that God can have his way. That's when oftentimes we have doubts. And see, Israel really had a choice to either live or die. And see, God offered that choice and God wanted them to choose a death. You see, to live was to go look back at Egypt and go back to the world. But to die and to be raised with Yeshua means that they need to say, Father, I'm coming to you. And Lord, we trust in you. We have no idea how this is going to work, but we know that you have a promise. And we know that you can save us through this promise. Like today, we come and say, Father, we know you have this promise and we know you can save us through this promise of salvation through Yeshua. But so God shows up and he splits the sea and he and the the, the Israelites start running towards it. And we see the Egyptians chase them right through there, through as the ground opened up. They were walking on dry ground in the midst of the ocean. And as they walked through and Israel reaches at the end, Moses signals and the water creeps up on the Egyptians and the choice charts, the 600 choice charts of Egypt, of Egypt, of Pharaoh drowns in the ocean. Israel, of course, praises God. We read how and Israel saw the great work which Yahweh had done in Egypt and the people feared Yahweh and believed Yahweh and his servant Moses. You see, as I said, when there is no way out, when it seems like everything is going to go wrong and there's no other choice, but it has to be God comes through in this moment or we die. And if God comes through, that's when he gets the glory. That's when we build faith and trust and character, because now we can see how, how God is. We can see that he does come through when things go wrong. You see, if God never went and, and directed Israel to that place before the ocean where they were locked in, they had nowhere else to go. And they did. And if God didn't send them through the ocean and save them that way, trapped Egypt and Pharaoh and destroyed them that way, Israel would have never experienced and, and witnessed the power, the mercy, the grace and the, the faithfulness of God. And similarly, when we are entrapped, when we see this ocean in front of us and the enemy behind us and we're surrounded, we've got nowhere else to go. We have only God left. We need to exalt. We need to rejoice in our our tribulation. The scriptures say rejoice in your tribulation for it builds endurance and endurance. When it comes to fulfillment, it builds character and when character comes to fulfillment, it brings hope and hope does not bring us to shame. 
You see, endurance means I have seen God do it before. He will do it again. Therefore, next time this trial comes, I will endure. And then that endurance comes and it builds my character because now my character is one that trusts and believes in God. And because my character is of that nature, now I will hope. I will have hope in God. I will have faith. I will not be uh, dismayed when the enemy surrounds me, but I will smile in his face because I know my God is bigger. But see, you will never be able to build endurance, character or hope if you do not allow God to press you. If you do not allow God to come and build your faith and exalt you amongst the nations because he is your God. And he is the one that delivers. You see, tribulation is incredibly important in our lives because it humbles us. You see, as I've said in my previous teaching of the end times Passover, when God put, took Israel out of Egypt, it wasn't enough to just take Israel out of Egypt. He needed to then also come and remove Egypt from Israel. And so similarly today, we need to allow God to move in us, to direct us and to do things like what he did with Israel and the splitting of the sea in our life, because that's how he humbles us, because now it's not up to us and just us anymore. We know we need him. And that means that he starts removing Egypt from us because Egypt is a place of pride. It is a, a place where Pharaoh, Pharaoh in Egypt, Pharaoh believed that he was like God. Pharaoh believed that he, he, he was a God, in fact. And so that prideful spirit of Egypt, God wants to remove from us where we will stop believing that we are God, we are God and we can our own God and we can figure everything out alone. He wants to remove that from us and show us, no, without God, you are nothing. Without God, you can't even breathe your next breath. Because see, if nothing ever went wrong, if everything was always smooth sailing, if God just took Israel straight line to that promised land, there was no tribulation, no wilderness experience, if you will then they will fall away. They will think that they don't need God. If everything is provided for by nature, they will think they don't need him. But God needed to try and test them so that they can see him come through. So brother and sister, if you never have tribulation or trial in your life, that is one of the biggest curses you can have because you'll think that I don't need God. I am my own God. I can provide for my own family. I can work. I can have lots of money. I can do whatever. I don't need God. But if everything always goes smooth sailing, but God in his mercy, actually, it's grace to have tribulation. That's why the apostle says rejoice in your tribulation because it builds character. It makes you more like Yeshua. That's why even Jesus, even Yeshua himself had to undergo trials and tribulation. He even God himself in human form had to undergo that. And so when we are able to have sufferings with Christ like he did, it is a privilege because it means God cares to make us more like him. It means he is changing our nature because this flesh, this fleshly nature, it needs to die. It needs to have a burial. And the only way that's going to happen is if we go through that sea, if we get 
baptized like Israel did. You see, the whole point of baptism is that it is a burial site for the old man, for the flesh. It kills the flesh, right? And when we are resurrected with him unto new life, just like Christ was resurrected from the dead, baptism is the burial site. We're buried with him. And so that means that we need to count it all joy when we are surrounded and we have no place to go except through this lake where we have to die so that we can live for Christ. So I want to ask you, maybe you have fear and worry and all these things because you haven't died yet. Maybe you're complaining and crying out and saying, God, oh, did you just bring me thus far just to let me die where I'm at right now? Are you saying that just like Israel did? Because maybe you are because you have the same issue they had. Unbelief in God, fear, worry. And the reason for all of these things is they don't want to die. They don't want to get buried in baptism with Christ and raised again unto new life. Because see, it's a scary thing sometimes. It means a lot of things need to change. It means I need to give up control. Because but see, if you give up control, it's the biggest blessing ever because you don't want to be in control. Trust me, you want God to be in control. If you are in control of your own life, it is a recipe for disaster. But if you let him drive. It is the recipe of deliverance and victory. You see him being behind the wheel is the way that you get to the promised land. It is the way that you get freedom. So it's time to die and let him drive. But the most amazing thing is, and this is also part of the grace of the father, is that even while Israel was in their unbelief, crying out to God and saying, God, did you just bring us here to make us die? In the midst of them saying that God instructed Moses to take his staff and struck the sea. And the sea opened. You see, even in our heart's rebellion, even in our unbelief, even in our worry, fear, lack of trust in God, even in our unwillingness sometimes to actually die and give up control, even in all of that, God still comes through. He still comes and delivers, especially if he wants to teach us to start trusting and relying on him more. You see, the father's heart is for us to be more like him. And so especially in the beginning of our journeys with him, he will have so much grace for us and lead us through the Exodus, the wilderness. And as long as we hold on to his garment and learn from the lessons that he's teaching us, we will receive the promised land. You see, Israel was not perfect from day one. Far from it, in fact. They had so much Egypt in them that God had to take them through a purification process through that wilderness to take Egypt out of them before they can get to that land flowing with milk and honey. And so if you still have some Egypt in you, you're in good company. The patriarchs all had it. You know, um, Israel all had it. But see, the most important thing is, is that we hold on to him. We do not rebel. We learn the lesson he ne- he's teaching us in this day so we can move on, so we can get through the wilderness. Because you don't want to die in the wilderness because you keep on complaining. You don't want to die there because you go your own way, even though God said go this way. You don't want to die there because of your rebellion and because you simply don't want to die to yourself. Because dying to yourself is essential to live for him.
Next up, what happens shortly thereafter is Israel actually comes and they start traveling and traveling and traveling. And after three long days, they start running out of water. And they actually start complaining. They say, God, and they say the same thing they just said three days ago. And they say, God, did you bring us thus far just to make us die here? Why, God, what are you doing? And they're confused again and they complain again. And God tells them the following. He says, Exodus 15, verse 25. And Moses cried out to Yahweh and Yahweh showed him a tree. And when he threw it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a law and a right ruling for them. And there he tried them. And he said, if you diligently obey the voice of Yahweh, your God, and do what is right in his eyes and shall listen to his commands and shall guard all his laws, I shall bring on you none of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh who heals you. You see, God again is now teaching them something new. You know, as they did not have they didn't have water, but they came to these waters, but it was better. And God told Moses to take a branch, throw it into the water, and the water became sweet. This was all a picture of the hearts of Israel. Israel's hearts were bitter. They wanted, they were, they kept looking back at Egypt. They kept looking at, oh, but when we were there, yes, we were slaves, but we had water. Yes, we were slaves, but we had food. Yes, we were slaves, but we had it much better than this God. I don't know know if this is worth it. It's kind of their thinking. And oftentimes that's what we're doing too. We look back at our old life. Oftentimes just before the time before we got baptized, that part and we say, Oh God, it was so fun having all my sin. It was so fun having the leaven of Egypt. It was so fun because all I had all these nice things and God now after I start following you, what's going on? Because now since I started following you, God, now everything is going wrong. Now suddenly life is getting hard. It was actually easier to live before I met you. You see, that's exactly what Israel is saying here. And God is showing them your hearts are better, but I want to make them sweet. Just like God takes this water and he turned it from bitterness to sweetness. He wants to do that for their hearts. You see, because the water represents Yeshua, the sweet water. Yeshua, Jesus said, I am the living water. Whoever drinks of me will never go thirsty again. And he's God is, is communicating that and he's saying, drink of this water, this sweet water, and let your better hearts be turned sweet. And God really in this was trying to address a certain mindset in Israel, a bitter mindset. Many today have the same mindset where they are negative and bitter about everything. You see, if you are bitter and negative about every situation that doesn't go according to your plan, you are not walking in the love of God and you are will be like Israel and you will complain to God and you will complain about your life and everything. But see, one of the things that God, one of the first things God wants to teach Israel is that they need to stop complaining. As they came right before the water, the splitting of the sea, they complained. As they started running out of water, they complained. And as you will soon see, as they started running out of food, they complained. Lord, where will we get food? Lord, we need something to eat. 
At every single stop of worry, they complain. And instead of simply lifting up their prayers to Father, saying, Lord, we don't have water. Father, you've been gracious to us. You've been merciful to us thus far. Father, show us how we can get water. See, that, there's a difference. They weren't praying that. They were saying, oh God, you brought us here again just to make us die again. They questioned God every step along the way because they didn't trust him. And God is just trying to show them, my children, you can trust me. I just split the sea for you. I just killed your, your adversaries. And then later, he's, God is going to start bringing water out of rocks. And we see God starting bringing, turning, you know, like we just read, the bitter water into sweetness. We see God doing all these modern miracles. But over and over and over, no matter how many miracles they see, they don't change. Because see, it's a choice. It's not a miracle isn't going to be the thing that convinces you. It is going to be you that needs to go and say, I choose today. I choose against everything around my life that looks like I should choose otherwise. The world tells me I should choose otherwise, but I choose you, Yeshua. Yeshua, I refuse to live in doubt and unbelief and all these things. I choose you. And then we read further in Exodus 16, as I mentioned about how they complain about the food. We read the following Exodus 16, verse 3. And the children of Israel said to them, If only we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to satisfaction. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to put all this assembly to death of hunger. And so as I mentioned, Israel come and they complain yet again. And what God does next is he starts raining the manna from heaven. And he tells Moses that these people should gather this manna for six days and not gather on the seventh. Exodus 16 verse 26. Gather it six days, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there is none. And it came to be that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And Yahweh said to Moses, how long shall you refuse to guard my commands and my Torah? And so now in this instruction of the manna coming from heaven, God starts teaching them and reminding them about his Sabbath. He teaches them to gather manna for six days. But on the seventh day, he says, this is a Sabbath day. You will gather nothing because there will be nothing to gather for you. But the people were disobedient and they disobeyed. They went out anyway. They tried to gather, but they found nothing. And God said, you wicked generation, how long until you start guarding my commands? You see, brothers and sisters, today it is the same. You know, oftentimes we go out on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day that God has set apart, and we try and work something out to gather our bread. In other words, we try and work. Whatever your line of work is, you try and work so that you can put food on the table. That is your idea. But God says, and the lesson, the principle is, if you do not obey this commandment that I have given you part of my 10 commandments in the top five, by the way, if you don't keep it, your, your labor will be fruitless on that seventh day. You can go out, you can gather as much as you want, but you will find nothing of that is a fruitful. You can go out and you can labor, toil and work as much as you want on the Sabbath day, the seventh day that God has set apart. 
but it will be unfruitful. I want to submit to you, you know, many people have said, oh, but the Sabbath day, you know, we need to keep that because we're not Israel. We're not part of the Jews or whatever. I want to remind you that the Sabbath day was given way long before this. It was given in Genesis 2 verse 3, while God created the heavens and the earth and everything therein. He created a specific day. The seventh day, he calls the Sabbath day, the day of rest. And God rested himself on this day and then inspects, uh, expects us to do the same. You see, if we toss it aside and we say we don't need to keep the Sabbath because, uh, you know, it's not for us. We are an act of rebellion against the, one of the top five commandments of God. It is a credibly dangerous place to live and we will face the same consequences Israel did. We see that Israel, what happened next is when they tried to, you know, God also told them. So on the sixth day, I want you, I'm going to rain more manna for you. He says, I'm going to give you more and overflow of fruit for your labor. And that's going to carry you through the seventh day. So God is literally saying, I'm going to give you more money, if you will, for your work to carry you through the seventh day that you don't work. That's the principle. And that while Israel eventually learned the lesson that they can, that they will receive enough to carry them through the Sabbath day, they made another mistake. And this mistake that was that they tried to store manna up for the next day. So they basically on, let's say on, on Monday, they would gather the manna, but they would try and gather more manna so they can store it to, so they can eat that same manna on the next day. Even while God told them, I am going to rain manna down from heaven for you every single day and you will not lack. So they had a not a lack of trust and that God will provide enough for today, but they'd rather try to gather for tomorrow as well. The principle and the lesson is that we need to trust God for our bread. Our physical needs is provided by him and him alone. God will provide enough today and we should not and we should trust him for today. That means we're not allowed to worry about tomorrow. That's why he says, I will always provide your needs for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. And so in Exodus 16, verse 19, we read about how when they try to gather the manna on the day and they try to gather more than enough for the next day, when they left it over for the next day, it actually bred worms and it stank. This is a picture of how they are to eat the manna that they gather in this day in haste and to eat that and not store up for tomorrow. Just like with Passover, we see just a few chapters earlier as they were leaving Egypt, when God told them to to take the Passover lamb and eat it, God told them to eat it in haste. Right. And so and not leave of it until the next day, just like this manna. And this is all a picture of Yeshua. Yeshua was not kept on the cross overnight for the next day, but rather was taken off the cross on that same day before the Sabbath started. And so um, similarly, it's a picture of how we should eat of the lamb of the Passover lamb, the perfect lamb, which is Yeshua. We should consume him all today. And remember, he also says, I am the bread of life. I am the manna. He consume me today. Do not leave me for tomorrow. 
don't be like, oh, Yeshua, I'll, I'll have a little bit of you today, but I, I don't want all of you yet. I, I don't want to give up everything yet for you. You see, that's really what it comes down to. So we need to consume all of him today, be satisfied and filled with him and don't leave of him into of tomorrow and say, I will deal with this part of my life and this part of my life and this part of my life tomorrow. Because see, eating all of him means you start walking like him. It means that you die to yourself. It means that you follow him. That's when while as Yeshua was walking through the streets of Jerusalem and, and all the towns he were, he were in, he said he told people, come and follow me. Follow me, be my disciple. And he didn't give them a second chance. If they doubted, if they were unsure, like the rich man, the rich man said, oh, uh, uh, okay, but I still have. What should I do to follow you? And Yeshua said, sell everything you have and then come and follow me. But he was distraught in his heart. He turned away and he didn't because he held on to other things of this world. Still in the same way, we, if you, we need to eat all of Yeshua, we need to follow him. We need to give everything up for him. And in Exodus 17, we read yet again about how Israel grumbles against God. We read the following Exodus 17, verse three. And the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? See, I am standing before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it. And the people shall drink. And Moses did so before the eyes of the elders of Israel. Really, at this stage, things are getting old because Israel is still complaining after everything that God has been doing. God brought the plagues on Egypt, the 10 plagues. He took them out of Egypt. He split the sea for them. He turned the water um, from bitterness into sweet water. He did all these things and still God, the people are like, God, why do you bring us here to die? See, they're not learning their lesson. And similarly, like I mentioned, this is not about God not showing them that he cares for them. This is a bigger problem of hard hearts. You see, and similarly today, many people have an unbelief in God or they reject God and the sacrifice of Jesus because of a hardness of heart, not because God has been lacking to show us that he is involved in our lives. And so we need to ensure, make sure that we ask for to open our eyes so we can see his hand, his carrying his grace in our life for us to not overlook it. But see, now something really interesting happens because now God tells Moses something different. He says, Moses, I want you to go to this rock and I want you to take your staff and strike this rock with it. And so the water can come from it. It's kind of peculiar. Why would God? What is the significance of the rock? Well, the rock actually represents Yeshua and striking the rock is what we would later do to him. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1. For I do not wish you to be ignorant brothers, that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were immersed into Moses, into the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed. And that rock was Messiah. You see, Yeshua is the, the rock. That was stricken on the cross. When he was on the cross, he was he was struck. There was blood and water that came pouring out of him. 
Similarly, this prophetic action of Moses striking the rock is a picture of how us, how Israel, how the world basically was striking the rock to get water from it. We struck Yeshua, we struck Jesus, we put him on the cross. He died for us willingly as a sacrifice to bring the living water to us. But see, while Israel all went through these things together, they were immersed or baptized, if you will, in the splitting of the sea. They ate the same spiritual food. They ate the same spiritual drink. That picture of how they drank from that rock, the spiritual drink, it represents how we drink from Yeshua, from Jesus and are filled. While they partook in him, they even put the blood on, of the perfect lamb on their doorpost so the deaf angel can pass over them. A picture of how God is the, spilled his blood for us so that we can, the deaf can pass over us. But so while Israel in the wilderness went through all these things together, all of them, when later on through the wilderness experience, many of them still fell into idolatry. For example, they took the golden calf and they made a feast unto Yahweh with using these pagan practices. You know, they made all mistakes and many of them fell away. Many of them actually died and many of them fell under the wrath and judgment of God for that rebellion. It is a picture of how we are not once saved, always saved. Even though we can have the blood on our doorpost at first and we can see the deaf angel pass over us, even though we can see um, God splitting a sea for us, we can see the wonders he does for us, we can drink from the rock, we can drink from Yeshua, but at some point we can still fall away in our sin. We can still go and say, oh, I want to rather build a golden calf. Or I, I, I don't trust God anymore. I'm going to go my own way. You guys, you can go that way, you believers. But I'm tired of this. I'm going another way. I'm going back to Egypt. I, I'm, I'm sick of the manna from heaven. I want my stakes back in Egypt. Whatever it is, the fact of the matter is we can still fall away if we come and we reject God in rebe with a rebellious heart. If we go and actively go against him and say, Lord, we don't want this anymore because see this complaining of Israel over and over and over again. At this point, God has mercy on them because God is teaching them and showing them that they can trust him. But at some point, patience starts running out because by then at a later stage, they need to start realizing, yes, God can actually care for them. Yes, God can bring enough manna for today. Yes, God can bring enough water from the rock for today. Yes, God can split the sea for us today. Yes, God can do whatever trial and challenge there is. There comes a time in our lives when we need to say, yes, God can and nothing will stop him from that. And so I proclaim over your life that yes, God can. And if you only but to give him your heart and you say, Father, yes, I have. I feel inside that I don't believe. I feel that I don't trust. I feel that I have fear. You see, to feel these things, it is all right. But what is important is what we do with that. Are we going to go into despite our feelings, despite our worries, despite our fears? Are we going to go and say, yes, Father, I feel these things. But Father, you know what? I am going to take an action, a step of faith. And I'm going to trust you this time because God, you can. You see, it is all about us going and instead simply this. You know, you can have two people both have unbelief, both have trust issues. The one will go and say, God, why have you brought me here to let me die? 
And then Aaron will say, God, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I am. Oh, but God, I know you are good. And I know that you can take care of me. And I know that you can do this. So I don't know what you're up to, God. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how what is going to happen or how you'll save me. Because my enemies is all around. And everywhere I look is just my enemies. God, what will I do? What, will, what, what, what can I do? And God says, you will do nothing. I will fight for you. But see, the one who only complains and complains and complains and complains unto eternity will be the one that ultimately dies in the wilderness. Because complaining is the, a heart of rebellion. It is a heart of pride, a heart that comes and says, God, I don't trust you. And so God simply is in this message. I just want to ask you one thing today, and that is to trust the father, believe in him and let an action follow that profession of belief in him. Put the blood on your doorpost. When that when you come to that sea, you see the enemies behind you, you start running into that sea, even though you don't see a wave move yet. Because your belief needs to be proven by action. You need to come and say, Father, I see the sea. I don't know what I'm going to do, but there's only one way to go. And I'm going to trust you. And you're going to start running. And the sea will open. You see, that's what, that's what Moses was. Moses was the role model in the story, if you will. Because even though the people were complaining, he simply came to God. and the opposite. He did the opposite. He came to God and he said, God... We have this problem, Lord. And he lifted up his worry and he said, Father, what shall we do? And God came and to Moses, God granted the power to overcome. And through Moses' belief, Israel was saved. You see, so in the same way, will you be like Moses? Will you be like the one who is like the role model, if you will? The one who others will see. Because see, brothers and sisters, people are watching. And if it was not for Moses and his belief... The people would have probably died right there. They would have probably died in their unbelief. But if we go and we understand, well, there's all these eyes on us, all these people around us. We are supposed to be a leader and an example to these people. God, and we cry out to God, we say, Lord, have mercy, God, have mercy on these people. We intercede for them. That's when people's eyes open. That's how their hearts are softened. By coming and having patience, even though they don't deserve it. And so be like Moses in that way and ultimately be like Yeshua. Because that's what Yeshua did. Even though we were in our sin, even though we spit in his face, even though we put him on a cross and we strike him as the rock, he still died for us. Even though the people murmured and complained against Moses and Aaron. Moses still came up when they built that golden calf. And Moses said, Lord, if you want to take them out, you need to take me out too. And because of Moses' proclamation, God spared much of his wrath against Israel. Will you be that? Will be you be the one that says, God, I will trust you, even though no one else will. May God bless you and keep you, shine his face upon you. Lift up his counsel upon you, give you strength, shalom, mercy. Mm-hmm.